Welcome to another episode of the Annapurnaverse podcast, the podcast where me, your host Alex, um, and my co-host Billy go through the filmography of Annapurna Pictures. And I've mentioned her name, and joining me as always to wade through the jazzical stylings of Annapurna Pictures is Billy. (laughs) It's my new favourite thing. Hello. Hello, everybody. I feel like I waited too long to start doing it, and now everyone's going to be like, oh, why is he doing it now? Yeah, we can just, in retrospect, go back, edit all the episodes, re-upload. And put it in. And you can do it. (laughs) That means I'm going to have to think of something for every film. Or, yeah, we could do it, like, when we get to our final episode, you can, like... (laughs) Retroactively. (laughs) Yeah, just be like, what I would have said was... And uh, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about, I think, probably one of our most anticipated films of the whole podcast, and that is Barry Jenkins' 2018 film, If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, If Beale Street Could Talk is based on the book of the same name, and after... uh, Tish Rivers' fiancé is falsely imprisoned. Um, She and her family set out to try and clear his name. And joining us today to talk about this film is LaToya. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Yes, yes. I'm I'm well on this, um, yes, fine August day. Yeah. It's been I'm raining all day up here. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been raining here too. I was wondering, like, are we feeling the autumn? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm so ready. ready for it. How are we feeling about that, LaToya? I, I think autumn is fast approaching. I've seen so many leaves um, actually in the parks that have fallen. And there is that slight chill to the air. But I think that because we still have a lot of outdoor events and there'll still be outdoor cinemas and so there's still very much that late summer vibe in the air as well yeah they're like clinging to it they're like wait not yet don't go yet I feel like I'm ready to move on in and this film definitely kind of feels I was, I was gonna say that it's got like kind of autumn vibes yeah it's like the color palette it feels really warm and like yeah i don't know there's something about it i was watching it now and i was like it's raining outside it feels like the right weather for this film (laughs) yes (laughs) right so latoya why did you pick if beale street could talk it is just such a beautiful film i remember the first time when i watched it in the cinema and I was just completely swept away, um, swept away by the charismatic characters, the sweeping score, and what a score that is. Um, It is just so captivating from the outset. Um, The colour palette, cinematography, the way that the characters are lit as well. So Barry Jenkins has done really well there in really accentuating their complexions. So it all just looks quite joyful, despite the subject matter 
it is just one of those films that you fall in love with, but it's also haunting and the score works quite well in that sense as well. It, it's just simply beautiful. So one of those that I've really enjoyed watching and re-watching. And Billy, what about you? The first time I saw this was actually the first ever London Film Festival that I ever went to. And I remember I saw the name Barry Jenkins and I was like, yep, mm -hmm, I'll be there. And oh my gosh, yeah, I remember falling in love with it the first time. I think everyone is always nervous when like a director that they love makes another film. It's like, will it like be as incredible as the first one? And like, who was I to doubt Barry Jenkins? Like, this is amazing. This, the... Yeah, it's the score for me. I think the second it started, the first time I saw it, I was like in tears and I kind of stayed that way for the full runtime. And it just happened again when I was rewatching it for this episode. I was like, oh, like, I, I think it's actually one of those scores that I can't, I can't listen to off like just in day to day life because it hurts my heart so much. And Alex, we know, but it's fine. When was the first time you saw Beale Street? <laughs> for my absolute sins, I watched If Beale Street Could Talk for the first time prior to the recording of this podcast. <gasps> really? I know. I know. Yes. Oh, yeah. So Every right, week so he lets me down. <laughs> usually, usually I um I just kind of say that and I own it, don't I, I'm, Billy? I'm just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It's you know I've not watched it and that's that, but I. I'm going to try and justify myself on this one as to okay. why I haven't seen it. Obviously, there is no justification because Barry Jenkins, wh why would I not? So I, I'd i been working in a cinema for about a year, I think, ish, by the time this film came out in the UK. And at work, we have, uh, through the corridors, we have poster cases. And as a film uh, is coming out, we put it in like the furthest away post case from the entrance and it gets closer and closer to the entrance until obviously the film comes out. And the, if Beale street could talk poster was there like at least a month and a half before the film came out. And every day when I went into work, I would walk past it and go, I'm watching that. That's Barry Jenkins. I can't like, I'm so excited for this film. And then it just like for maybe, I don't know, life, reasons it just completely passed me by and i i will always regret not watching it when it came out in the cinema either that or my cinema didn't show it which wouldn't be surprising considering that i work at a, a cineplex as opposed to um an independent cinema yeah that's true i can't remember the situation re cinemas in the uk for this film but yeah maybe that was it but I do remember looking at that poster vividly, like every time just being like, this is going to be a film. And it, a film it was. A film, a film and a half. And I said, one of my notes is, this film, or just Barry Jenkins in general, just makes poetry. It doesn't even feel like a film at, at points. Like it feels like watching a poem. Yeah, I completely agree. Um I yeah absolutely adored this. I think it's. I mean, I was already a fan of of Moonlight. I mean, Moonlight isn't just a good film. Like it, it is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and I think everything, everything that Barry Jenkins did well on that film, 
um, he just brings over to this and does it even better. And I mean, that's all the way down to, to Nicholas Brutal's score as well. I think, like, for me, the fact that it's only his third feature, I'm just like, come on, Barry. <laughs> Cut us some slack. How are you doing it so good every time? It's, like, insane. And they're just all so beautiful as well. Each time there's that emotion pervading them. It's, yeah, it's incredible. I was just checking that I was right on that. Yeah, so he made Medicine for Melancholy, then he made Moonlight, and then Beale Street was his third feature. And yeah, James Laxton. If we're going to get into the Oscar talk already, where was his nomination? (laughs) Where was his nomination? Because this film is so beautiful to look at. He like, I just don't, I just want to see him shoot everything. I want to see everything through the lens of Barry Jenkins and James Laxton. They between the two of them they love people the way they frame faces the way they hold gazes like I'm just in awe of it and I don't know how it wasn't what did did we get did we find out what one best cinematography, cinematography. Was, oh I'll have a look I've got the list up here oh god uh original song I'm just trying to find it um Roma so Roma. you know Swings I haven't seen it, so I can't I can't cannot comment but yeah truly 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 I'm like so many questions over the selection of nominations with that only being three when every part of it is working so incredibly well like I don't know what what could have been better on all fronts yeah and and such a good cast as well I mean you have Regina King in there you have Stephanie James you have Coleman Domingo you know Michael Beach just really good cast and it's so interesting like in terms of the cast as well because you know bar Stephen james and kiki lane who obviously this film is completely framed around um you know all the other parts are very small in comparison maybe bar regina king's regina king's got a little bit more to do but um but everybody and i mean like every last person makes their presence known like even diego luna who plays the the waiter in the restaurant Oh, yes. Um, that that everybody's just brilliant. I think it's a lot to do with framing, you know. And I've I kind of noticed throughout watching it this time, like not watching it in a cinema setting and kind of watching it in my front room. It is so unapologetically like slow paced. I don't think I've seen a film, or I can like recall watching a film where we are allowed to sit in the same place for such a long time. And it kind of helps us like linger with them and it makes us love them the way they love each other and also the way Barry Jenkins loves them as characters. And I think that he does that through so many different things, like through, you know, eyes directly to the camera and through framing and smoke and and all of these things. But I just don't remember a film being as slow and quiet as this one and me enjoying it and wanting to like live in it as much does that make sense absolutely and and it is just so immersive in their life their love the joy that they experience for the short time they have it um and that's captured as well through their body movements where you have the camera 
kind of panning around them and they're encircling each other or holding their hands, walking slowly down the road. And we're just invited to be an extra person in their in their relationship almost. And yes, it's just it's just so lovely. So Latoya, what did you think about like the way the film is kind of told narratively in terms of like us already like being kind of placed in a point in the narrative where um Alonso had already been put in prison and then it kind of like jumping back you know periodically to different moments of their relationship yes yeah, so i thought i thought that was actually rather well done because obviously as it's based on a book there are other ways in which they could have employed various literary devices um there is a voiceover but it's not overpowering it just provides that segue into certain key moments and so we are immediately brought into that um experience that they have um and the voiceover tells us that she is having to speak these words to her loved one behind a glass. So that immediately then lets us know that, well, the image that we're seeing in front of us of them being quite young and innocent and in love is not the present reality. So I thought that was actually just really well done and enables us to become part of her narrative and her world and also that anguish that she's experiencing as well. Yeah, completely. I feel like it's adding to the ache of it all. It's like we kind of know, because it is sometimes difficult with films when you kind of know the end before it's happened. Like there's always, I don't know, there's kind of like a really great way to do it and then there's also, it can be quite challenging to enjoy, but I don't know, just knowing kind of where it ends up is like every happy moment is like has this air over the top of it. And I think that that kind of adds to like the haunting nature of this film. Yes, I, I think they place us in the middle of it as well. So it's at a it's at a juncture where there are still several possibilities. And so I think that we're then given some hope. So we live alongside Tish in the hope that there's still a possibility that the current reality can change, that there is a future, that there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and so it, it is very interesting in terms of how it is constructed. And I feel like it it like allows that kind of like there is like a lot of life and laughter in this film. Like I feel like it isn't confined to one emotion at any point. Like it does kind of allow for all spectrum of emotions to come in and out of the narrative. I feel like it could have very easily um kind of just been like, right, this is a this is just going to be a sad movie. And that that's it. Like we're not gonna get past that. But obviously Barry Jenkins is a filmmaker and is just so beyond like a one track mind that 
it just ends up making something so special. Yes. And I and I think as well, yes, I was going to say, and I think as well the ensemble, even though they don't have very large parts um assist in providing that camaraderie and that joy. So you have Bonnie's friend that he meets, um, so um Brian Thierry Henry and you see the joy exuded between them and the camaraderie and and the music so again that emphasis on music really good music and then the smoke and the smoke just lingering and just looking so beautiful as you see this smoke billowing in the air as it's just like there's like a freeze frame and then it moves and and it's just so beautifully done and so there are small everyday moments that are then amplified to provide really quite um, sumptuous, joyous experiences despite the trauma and tragedy that some of the characters are actually having to live through as well. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of exactly what you're saying about like the dynamics between characters. I just feel like I just wanted to like live with them and see how they were going about their day because like those moments like even the early on when there are so many people in the scene when it's like both families coming together like everyone in that scene makes an impact and it's so because ultimately the film is two hours which yes is a long time but it's it's not that long and I've seen films where there's like many people in the scene and you don't really know their faces you don't really know what they look like but with this like film I feel like every moment has that and I love that he captures dynamics without having to define like who these people are to each other because yes there's the narrative uh the narration over the top to kind of guide us through but I just feel like by the way the actors have kind of been directed they know and they know how to demonstrate that without having to be like x y and z about it Yes, and I and I think that's the beauty of it all. It's that emotion conveyed throughout the film. I think you can describe this film probably as being a mood. So it's a feeling, and you just get that from every single character in the film. Yeah, it's like it knocks the wind out of you. Like there are so many times where I had to like catch my breath because I was like. I don't know, there's something that Barry Jenkins does as a director, which is so rare to experience that I feel like he knows how to transfer emotion onto an audience. And I feel like that's why we get so wrapped up inside of it. I think that can be exemplified by that scene where the families are together because it's kind of like a, well, I mean, you go through kind of, like so many peaks and troughs during that that whole sequence because you're kind of worried about how the father's going to react to the news of her being pregnant and then you kind of get that elation and relief that he's kind of okay with it and her sister is also like happy for her and then you kind of come down again because then you're like oh they're going to tell um Alfon- Alonso's um family and then you kind of like the anticipation of how they're all going to react. And then it's just, yeah, 
you, you go through lots of different emotions in that really short space of time. And then even when it kind of crescendos at, at the end of that scene in, in a very horrible way. Mm-hmm. And but Tiana Paris in that scene. Oh, yes. MVP. She's MVP of that scene. She is so great and just delivers things with such like clarity. And like, I don't know, like, there's something inside of that scene which, yeah, like you said, obviously ends horribly. And I think that scene is just so pivotal because at first it's that mother daughter relationship. And you can see that she is just really quite tentative and hesitant in terms of telling her mother but Regina King just portrays that role of a really warm supportive mother so well and you can tell it's almost as if she knows whilst Tish is there just trying to tell her and she stutters a few times I'm I'm and then we have some music so we don't actually hear or see Tish telling the mother that she is pregnant Uh, and then it moves to having the father there and her sister and how they react as well and that's quite and that's quite amusing when they both just pick up the drink and drink it simultaneously (laughs) once they hear the news (laughs) yes and so and that and so that family dynamic is really good to see and then also just her parents as well how they interact with each other and like dancing together and are just really supportive so that when we're introduced to Bonnie's family, there's that clear contrast in the dynamic. So we've gone from being amongst a really warm, loving, supportive environment where you have two parents that seem to be bordering some resentment towards each other. And so that level of animosity then cascades and so you then have Tish and Bonnie's sisters then having like these um verbal volleys and these and they're sparring and it's all just really interesting seeing all of that unfold I love that moment so much and it's just the end when she's like I and also like it it shows while it is like a yeah there's like there's the going back and forth and there's all these things that it shows so clearly like the I don't know I love when dialogue isn't like pointing things out it's like you can tell that she's a supportive like fiercely loving sister just by the way that she responds to other people kind of coming into the their family space and threatening the family and it's like I don't know like there's something while so I don't know I just love I love the fact that we get to stay inside of spaces for so long and that scene I don't know how long it runs for maybe like 10 minutes maybe maybe 15 yeah something yeah I feel like it is for a considerable portion but it's like it feels like it moves so quickly because there also is still like this hope because we're we're still we're like still near the beginning of the film whereas I feel like moments become longer as we move throughout and it's like we're really cherishing the time that that they get to spend in the physical presence of one another. And there's like, I don't know, life feels so fast sometimes. And it's really nice within these moments to find pockets of like, oh, yeah, like that they could have spent a whole evening together because it feels like an evening together, not like they just come around left and like 
I don't know. I feel like films fall into that trap quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I completely agree. I feel like we need to talk about Regina King, though. Let's just go she's there. Fantastic. She <laughs> she's fantastic. She's fantastic. And I mean, if we're still talking about that scene of the families, you can see that she's there as like somebody that's a peacemaker and just providing that neutrality and and telling the men to um, go outside and do something else because obviously there's a scene where there is there is some um, there's a lot of um, anger and um, an altercation and Regina King just manages to navigate all of that really quite well to try and temper a lot of the frustrations felt and ease the sensation in that scene so um yes she's she's just phenomenal in the film I feel like her presence is really felt in every single frame that she is inside of like she is such and it makes like we were saying before we got on her it would make no sense if she didn't win the Oscar for this oh yeah completely and utterly deserved like just like like I was saying before you know even though she is in it and her presence is is completely felt she isn't in it that much because we are focused on the main the main couple and the main relationship of, of the film but the the scenes that she is in and especially the scene towards the end of the film where she goes to um Puerto Rico and that kind of exchange she has with with Victoria is just like poof yeah oh, like yes. poof and the score during that scene it's just so powerful I'm like genuinely tearing up now just thinking about it like I'm like I feel the emotion and it was like maybe like over an hour ago since the film ended for me but I can still feel her pain in that scene and then just like it's such a hefty moment and she just like powerhouses through it completely it's and and Jenkins directs that so well because we're all there with um Regina King's character having that hope hoping that there will be a breakthrough that something will change something will be positive and so it's really to his credit the way that he has built all of this up for us to be resonating with the characters so much yeah I definitely like felt the desperation like alongside her like the pleading and when she kind of oversteps in a way that like we kind of understand would be triggering like of course like even Regina King understands that innately but there's so much like need inside of that that like you kind of forget the things that you're supposed to remember and it's just like I don't know heartbreaking devastating yeah and it's just like a I mean that scene is just so like it's such a a kind of summation of the entire film and like the themes and uh, you know like yeah because obviously a big thing a big theme of this film is is prejudice and kind of like just how people are manipulated through that prejudice and it's there's just so many layers to that scene and it's just so heart just so heartbreaking like you said 
yeah, there's like a, a, a plea for, for humanity in a system that is so inhumane and in a way that it's like no one can win from that. Mm-hmm. It's like Regina yeah. King's asking for something in which would hurt, hurt, like hurt Victoria. And it's like, I feel like we forget that as an audience because of how much we live inside it alongside them. And then, like, yes, upon reflection, you can be like, oh, of course, like, it was that. But it's like, no, like, please, there's, there just has to be a way. But it is like a, I don't know, I don't, I don't, this, like, film isn't hopeless in any way, shape or form. Like, I no. feel like there's hope throughout the whole thing, which I think, I don't know, it's so nice to be focused on the humanity of it, though, and to be focused in the families, to be focused on the relationships between people and not be focusing on the thing lingering over the top, which is usually the film that gets made. Yes, because because we don't actually spend that much time with Bonnie aside from the flashbacks. And so we are very much being presented with a lot of scenes, hoping that the situation can be transformed. Because the moments that he is outside with um, Tish she kind of helps us fall in love with him in the way that she helps other characters fall in love with him. There's like the moment in the lawyer's office where she's like, call him funny. Like if you're going to be here and you need to be part of the family and you need to call him funny because that's his name to us. And this, that's his identity to us. And she spends the like time where he's outside kind of narrating those moments and showing us like why we should love him the way that we love him and that we should care about him the way that she wants us to. Because I feel like this film is just filled with so many beautiful, like, kind of capsuled moments um, of their relationship. And I just wanted to know kind of what your guys' favourite one was. Because I one definitely stuck out for me. Same. I feel like... Oh, I don't... Latoya, do you... Um, <laughs> so there was... I think there was a moment where um, Tish, and she's narrating at that point, says that she realises when Fonny had fallen in love with her and she's there on the um, doorstep of her mother and he presents some sculpture or something like that. And and it's just so sweet and adorable and just basically in love with the couple. I I did love that. Yeah, that moment was really nice. What's yours, Alex? Mine is the scene where they go and look at the like how do I how what even was it? Like a it wasn't even like a an apartment, like a, a loft. Yes, that's my loft. that's well, that's the one I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just because that I I would say that, that scene is probably a bit longer than some of the other um kind of flashback scenes. Um, and obviously at this point it's established that they're, they're kind of, they're thinking about a future together and, um, and like Fonny's part of Fonny's plan with that is to get this, this loft and just kind of (sighs) that the whole scene of him and kind of, because Tish is very apprehensive about it and is kind of all a bit kind of glass half empty, like, oh, what are we going to do about this? And, oh, it's a bit like this. And mm. and Fonny's just so, like, positive and kind of 
forward thinking about it and like what if we did this here and the couch here and I'm, the table's going to be here and we're going to we can have the family over here and we'll have the bedroom all the way over at that wall and I just like that was so nice and then I think the thing that really pipped it for me is when they moved to the fake um yeah. furniture and I just like oh it's just, I, yeah I, even I'm tearing up thinking about it because it's, it's such, just it's one of my favorites it's so incredible it's so like like you know it's just so human like the humanity of it and how you know that is something that we all strive for in life and it's just oh it's just so good it's just so beautifully done and it's like one of the last good moments that we get before we find out what happened and that's it's like the peak of joy is like they found this place they've been talking about how it's been so difficult and like they finally found it and we're so excited because the next thing that we should see right is them building up the apartment and moving in if the story didn't go the way that it did and it's like oh instead we find out the reason why like the ultimate thing has happened and it is like so and I think that like it allows the audience to forget in that moment it's like I see the vision too like I can see the stove would be there and the fridge and yeah no I'm actually gonna cry if I think about it it's just so like it's just one of those like beautiful pure moments and they're so young and they know it and they like accept and like love that they are and I just yeah I'm never usually lost for words but here I am Lost it is impossible to articulate like there is one of those films that just like there are so many elements of it to discuss that it's like you just don't even know where to begin <laughs> um it's one of those things that it's like anything you say doesn't add like value to the film because it is so <laughs> perfect on its own two feet it is it's it's beautiful it's beautiful but frustrating in equal measure mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely um right well well, we've talked about it briefly um but the score and nicholas patel amazing an amazing score i think it accomplishes things that like music hasn't done for me at least in a film like i said like i can't i can't listen to it just like on a random wednesday evening like it hurts to listen to because i'm like I can feel the emotion in every single thing. I don't, Nicholas Patel, he just, I don't understand him. I'm like, where did that talent come from? Who gave you that? How did, how? Please, someone ask the question. (laughs) Q&A, Nicholas Patel, why the hell are you so talented? Like what? How? (laughs) Who did this to you? (laughs) Yeah, I just it's just beautiful, isn't it? Like and it really complements the film, like just in in ways that are indescribable, I think. Um but I think it kind of loops back to what you said, Latoya, about this film being like a mood in that you can't kind of can't describe how it makes you feel. No, it just makes you feel. You just feel it. Yeah. Yeah. That is literally yes. the perfect explanation for like this entire creation is like it just happens and it is I feel like it is one of those things of like people love Barry Jenkins and then can't even articulate why because it's just like we'll just watch it yeah I mean I think we absolutely love 
talking about films and breaking them down. But I think maybe maybe sometimes you've just got to call it a day and go, it, it, it just is. It just is. <laughs> watch, watch it. It just is. There is something that I kind of want to like talk about is like, um, I was going to say kind of like by the end of the film, I feel like it's it becomes almost impossible to watch. It's like one of those things is like you can't take your eyes off of it because of the way it looks and because of how beautiful like all of the characters are doing their jobs as actors. It just becomes so painfully real by the end. And it's so difficult with it being so stylized to maintain that level of like reality to it. And of course it is adapted by from a book as well. I've not read it. I actually have it on my shelf shamefully and I've probably got maybe like 50 pages in and never finished it. I don't know if either of you have read it. No, I haven't. It's one of those ones. I think it's just like, it becomes like one of those things where you really like notice that you just can't. I remember by the end of like watching it this time, I was like, I just, it hurts. Like it feels painful to keep watching. And I suppose the flashback scenes are kind of framed like that too. Like just the entire film is is kind of framed like that and the way it's shot and the score is on a, another plane of existence that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily print down to a really kind of a, a darker realistic drama if you think about it. But then at the end of the day, and this is what you're saying, Billy, about the, coming to the end and it's like, it's it's real life and that i feel like that makes it all the more heartbreaking yes and i and i think that we do have certain examples throughout the film of there being really quite heart-wrenching frustrating moments um so we have perhaps at first with the families again meeting that reality of the friction between that mother and father and and there is like a physical violent moment um and then we have this police officer that always seems to be um waiting for Vonnie to do something wrong and has that bias towards him as well and then obviously when Regina King goes to try and um speak to that woman and how that unfolds and so I think we're given snapshots um, that everything isn't idyllic yeah this is very this is so true but it, and then it's like when we get to Tish and Fonny we get to slow down and see them kind of because it is that thing of like when you're so in love with someone the rest of the world kind of fades away and it's like yes there's that reality around them but between the two of them like their world and their like love is so beautiful that they can't see those things or it's not even that they can't see those things because they do there's like this great moment in the um kitchen in their like apartment when um uh Daniel is talking about how he spent two years in jail or prison I can't remember which one um and he kind of, all, th- all two of them, like this house has been very sacred for them up until that point. Like they've just, the, the beautiful things that happen in that apartment 
and then there's this discussion of this like lingering thing over the top and it's like a a villain has entered the room like just through words and then like when they kind of laugh it off at the end because she's like are you guys hungry um and then that like breaks that tension of like oh inside of this like world we've been building for ourselves there are these realities and these things that are lingering over the top of that I was gonna actually ask what we all thought of that scene because obviously that that's basically the only scene of the film that Brian Tyree Henry is in right uh yeah and I thought that it was incredibly impactful and I know I haven't I was reading about this I haven't read the book but apparently in the book there is things that are explicitly said about his experiences in prison that the film kind of doesn't allude to properly yeah I think I don't I feel like I remember something about that because even the ending's different I think yeah apparently so there are there are some changes I was reading that that but, but one of those but I mean there's kind of things you can do on the screen that you can't do on a page yeah it's like you can kind of imagine without it becoming obviously I don't I don't know what the, the and I'll I'll be honest like in terms of Brian Tyree Henry's scene I think just even if it like the adaptation of that part from the book into the film is different I feel like it doesn't really make that much difference because of Brian Tyree Henry's performance and again like obviously you're saying about how the words kind of say what needs to be said but his facial expressions just kind of add add on top of that what like kind of what he has experienced yeah and I guess it's also because we know that funny is there it's like do we want to because I don't know if the book is equally as out of or whether it's chronological or or not like do we want to as an audience like is that the story that we want to carry with us like if it's said explicitly then like it feels like a reality for Fonny as well at the same time and I suppose in the film it's placed at a moment where we've got to know Fonny and Tish a bit and their family members and then um, Daniel comes along as well and so adds a different dynamic have some jazz playing but then also talking about other experiences but experiences that at that time may have been common for quite a few black men living around that area as well um so i think it does just as we've said um take that step back to reminding the audience that there is a reality outside of their microcosm outside of their bubble um that there is a world that doesn't necessarily love them as much as the audience may or their family. Yeah, and they kind of bring in like the the contemporary element of it of like things are still the same and they have the archival material throughout to contextualize these things and like what this means. And I feel like there is something about it, which I think Annapurna... And I hate when it's like, oh, you credit the studio for doing it. But like they are kind of interested in stories that 
contextualize the past in the present yeah and I think that that's kind of what Bill Street does is like we're not far removed from this history Mm -hmm. we're still living within the same timeline as some of these people yeah and obviously James Baldwin died in the, the 80s and like while that feels like a lifetime ago it really wasn't that long ago and it's like I don't know bringing that all of the things that they have kind of experienced all the things that people like to pretend to that we've moved on from right straight to the front front of the screen and being like well this is still the reality now like without talking about it ever explicitly but like it's like you can recognize that those things are still reality on the topic of Annapurna Megan Ellison, I think we need a chat. <laughs> How many times in this podcast are you going to directly address Megan Ellison? <laughs> uh, excuse me, you've also done it. so Yeah, I know. Between the two of us, how many times are we going to directly address <laughs> Megan Ellison? I just want to talk. What happened? This film did well box office-wise, though, no, surely, for once. Um, I'll have a look. Let's have a little Let's look at that. Yes, that would be interesting to see. It made budget twelve million, box office twenty point six million. So not as wide as Moonlight's box office impact. But for an Annapurna film, <laughs> very good, like very good. Yep. And I feel like that's kind of pulls it back to you saying how you didn't see it in the cinema whether it may have just skipped over it. I feel like it was, I feel like it was an unlimited screening. It I may like have I've been. I've seen this film twice and maybe I watched it once at London Film Festival and once at a Sydney World screening. And I can actually like weirdly picture myself being on shift the day of the screening going, oh, I can't believe I'm working. I could be watching this kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And then it just didn't come to your cinema. Yep. I think that might be I the case. Yes. Yeah. I know that's I watched it at, um, Yes, I watched it at a few cinema actually, and I actually found my ticket from then. And I don't know if they had it maybe as a Valentine's Day screening because it was February uh, when I watched it. That is, I think it was before, a late release in the UK. Valentine's Day, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Oh, so eighteenth of January twenty nineteen was the UK release date. So if it if you saw it on Valentine's Day, then it lasted a while in that. Yeah, well, I saw it just before, but yes, in February. Yes. As a former employee of you, that's good going <laughs> for a film that isn't Marvel. <laughs> for a film, like, yeah, so I don't understand. Maybe that is, that can't be globally, surely. Maybe that's just in the US. Oh, no, the US, uh, it did make like $8 million overseas. Oh, so that Oh, no, that sorry, six. Six million dollars yeah. overseas, yeah. And as well, when it comes to uh, like awards contenders and things, generally, with like Cineworld and things, if a, a film wins big, they'll they'll probably show it because there's a lot of clientele that go to those cinemas that are kind of like, oh, we this this so and so's won an Oscar, we want to watch it now. Yes, this is very true. I remember when I was working in the cinema, 
and this is my favorite anecdote to tell everyone is Shape of Water was out. No one saw it. Those screenings were empty. There was one person in there at best. It won Best Picture and you couldn't get a ticket. They were sold out every night. Yeah, and it's, so when people it's insane, turn around and say Oscars don't matter, yes, they do. Trust me. And I think, yeah. and I think that was the same with Parasite as well. Um, Par- exactly. Yeah. A lot of yeah. cinemas showed it the week before the Oscars, um, and then when it won, so many cinemas were showing it thereafter. I know it's it's wild, and it's why it frustrates me when people kind of diminish the like as annoying and frustrating as it is. Like, of course, we don't want to put such power in such a small body of people but it is unfortunately very impactful for a film's success and maybe yeah this one kind of being like a one of the ones that kind of got three nominations at the Oscars and not necessarily as many as it should have done it wasn't like in the best picture category yeah yeah general cinemas general cinema goers don't go, oh, Regina King won Best Supporting Actress. Now I want to watch If Beale Street Could Talk. They go, oh, If Beale Street Could Talk won Best Picture. Now yeah. I want to watch it. Yeah, I think it is Best Picture kind of holds the most weight. So it says domestic 14,915,773. So it, uh, and then international 5,680,794. So just under 6 million. Yes. Outside of the US. Mm-hmm. And then 2.5 million worldwide, which, you know, it made its budget back, but with not that much to go, which is such a shame because I feel like it, it, it does so much that I just don't see, I can't see outside of it being Annapurna's kind of distribution methods there being any other well yeah because you because you can't be like oh it's barry jenkins because obviously one moonlight already won 65 million at the box office from a 1.5 million (laughs) budget like yeah it's not his fault yeah Um, i don't know it's it's kind of frustrating anyway but luckily had no scratch on his career because he is continues to kill it the amount of things coming from him, incredible. Yeah, can't wait for that Lion King prequel. Actually, really, and I wouldn't be—I <laughs> wouldn't be excited if it were anyone. If else. it was anyone else, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like, it's yeah. him, and I'm can't wait. It's going to be fantastic, I'm sure. Yes, I wonder if this will end up being one of those films that has like a a special dedicated following. Um, you know about the film, know how beautiful it is, and maybe. In years and decades to come, more people will appreciate it if it's shown uh, retrospectively in festivals or at cinemas during Black History Month, for example. Actually, I think that this was shown quite recently, um, in London anyway. Um, So there are some rooftop cinema events. And um, actually, last Thursday, it was shown at the Rooftop Film Club in Peckham. Oh my good! That would be such a beautiful way to watch it. Oh yes! Can you just imagine the sun setting, and then there are those scenes with that sunlit glow, and the characters just basking in that beautiful light, and it's just yeah. And don't they give you headphones for those kind of screenings? So like having that, like, oh, that kind of right directly to you sound. My heart is like fluttering just thinking about it. I would love that and yeah I feel like that is a a huge possibility as with like we've kind of seen with many films getting a revival of support 
further on down the line I think it is one of those things that perhaps maybe upon just a few years it's been what how many years now three years four, four years. 2018 in the US I think December yeah. so nearly four yeah I feel like we say this too often about Annapurna films yeah it's really frustrating there are so they make such good stuff and it's like I just wish I don't know and we say this all the time is it the studio's fault or is it the audience's fault? Are they ahead of the times? Do they make the films that people are not ready for? I think some of these films are probably quite prescient. So they may be ahead of the times and maybe audiences aren't quite ready for them. Uh, but ultimately as well, I think marketing plays such a huge impact um, How and how widely they are distributed because... I would imagine with if Bill Street could talk and the box office um, figures internationally um, and what those were, that perhaps it was a limited release in many countries. So I think that perhaps either through later word of mouth and um, obviously podcasts like this, um, Perhaps if people are aware of it and start to watch it some more, then maybe there might be um, even more recognition for it. This is true. I think that they do they do films well that people love and love fiercely. That is kind of their speciality. Is like they make films for people to love, and maybe those don't reflect necessarily monetarily wise and awards wise, but people love them. And I guess if like they work with artists, like they work with people like Barry Jenkins and Mike Mills and people who have very clear styles and visions as filmmakers, that maybe that's enough for a filmmaker is like to have made the film the way they wanted it. Is does the at the end of the day, does the money matter? I don't know. I'm not I'm not inside of their heads, so I don't really know. But it is a question to ask. Right. Well, before we move on, is there anything else that we would like to say about If Beale Street Could Talk? It is just such a beautiful, immersive, captivating film. Um, and if people haven't listened to its score yet, I would definitely recommend doing so. Wonderful. Well... Latoya, we have, of course, the Annapurna Verse podcast. So what other Annapurna films are you a fan of? Right. So um, I do have a little list here. Yes. We love to hear it. (laughs) Celebrate these films. Yes. So we have films such as Sorry to Bother You, uh, which is just brilliant. Um, Then there is Detroit... Phantom Fred, Sisters Brothers, Booksmart, Hustlers, On the Count of Three, Zero Dark Thirty. Yes. So many good so ones. Really good, really good so titles. Many good ones. Yes. And Destroyer is still on my list to watch. I've always wanted to watch that with Nicole Kidman. Thank you very much for joining us, Latoya. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And if uh where can people find you if you want them to find you? 
Yes, so I can be found on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at fronglay27, also on Instagram with the same handle, and my website as well, uh, which is fronglay27tales.com. Um, and if you can't find those, then just ask Billy and Alex. <laughs> yes, we'll put them in the like description of the episode so people will know where to go right and finally to sign off um we're gonna get you to say the immortal words and we will see you across the anapurna verse